Well, good morning, church family, and uh, what a wonderful video that is to just kind of introduce ourselves, Uh, and if you're feeling new here at Windsor Road, I just want to extend a warm welcome, and uh, my name is Randy. I'm privileged to serve as the lead minister here at the church. It is just so good to see you all and to be in worship with you today. Um, You know, every week, especially this time of season, we'll have newcomers, and um, I just would love to just take a moment just to let you know of some ways that we can introduce ourselves to you and, and get to know you a little better. Uh, there in your bulletin, there's a tear-off portion, and I, I have a Friday email that I send out, and I would love to include you uh, on that just to let you know what's happening in the church family uh, 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 in terms of announcements and, and what's happening for our weekend services. Um, also, if you're feeling new, my wife Sarah and I, we host a newcomer's dessert once a quarter at our home. And we can fit about 15 comfortably in our living room, and we would just love it. Over the years, we've been privileged to have hundreds of people in our home, and we would love for you to be a part of that. If you'd like, just uh, uh, fill out uh, the, the insert there. And the next dessert is... a. September the 7th, September the 7th, and I just wanted you to be aware of that. And then uh, thirdly, our starting point class. Our starting point class just kind of lays out, you know, how we do church here at Windsor Road, and that's going to be September the 21st. So if you're feeling new, uh, I just want to say hello and, and welcome you here, and I want to tell you um, this next teaching series that we're beginning today is really about talking Uh, what we mean when we say church, how we understand the word church. And each Sunday, I want to just talk about a word that describes how we think about church. And the word for today is the word worship, worship. If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn to Psalm 95, Psalm 95, Psalm 95 is a psalm of worship, and you'll find that on page 499 of your church Bibles. If you don't have a copy of God's Word to call your own, please take that copy and put your name on it and receive it as a a gift from this church family. I'm going to be reading Psalm 95, and you'll also see it up on the screen as well. O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his. For he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you hear his voice, Do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as on the day at Massah in the wilderness, 
when your fathers put me to the test, put me to the proof, though they had seen my work for 40 years, I loathed that generation and said, they are a people who go astray in their heart, and they have not known my ways. Therefore, I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. This is God's word. That was kind of heavy, wasn't it? <laughs> Welcome. Let's get heavy. <laughs> What's that about? And, and what about these words Meribah and Massah? What's that mean? Well, we better talk about that, all right? But first, let me tell you about my vacation. <laughs> so... This year, my wife Sarah and I, we celebrated our 30th anniversary. Yeah! Yes! Amen! And so, um, so we decided for some extended time up at a place where we've been before, but it's Door County. Door County, Wisconsin. We spent two entire weeks up in Door County. And it's just lovely up there. Uh, we've been there before, but it was just great to be up there again. Um, I think 90% of the fun of being up there at this time of year is the weather. It was like 78 degrees as a high, and it would get to a low of in the 50s, and it was just crisp in the mornings, and it was just lovely, and it's a great bicycle county, so we brought our bicycles and just saw some interesting things while out on the road. Why, in fact, uh, this picture, there are camels in Door County. Who knew? Behold, the camels of Door County. And uh, then uh, this was just a lovely uh, field of baled hay. And then, uh, probably my favorite uh, pictures here, this is at a lighthouse. Uh, This is the Cana Lighthouse. This is on the east side of the Door County Peninsula. Uh, And then I took that picture there as well. It's just fun to be up there. And and I think one of the things I enjoyed about cherries galore, all things cherries, the thing I love being up there is I didn't have to keep a schedule. There was nothing particularly time sensitive. You know, we could just get up in the morning when we wanted to get up. And they, they have live theater there. So, you know, I, I, at about 5 o'clock in the evening, I said, hey, Sarah, there's a show at 7 o'clock at Sturgeon Bay. You want to go? Sure, let's go. We could just go. We'd just be spontaneous. And uh, nothing was time sensitive. And then we come back home. Right? Where it just seems like almost everything is time sensitive, isn't it? You know? School starts. It's on this day. Here's your class schedule. This is when your papers are due. This is when your exams are going to be due. This is when the project has to be completed. This is when the deadline is at work. I mean, everything is on a tight schedule. This is when the sermon is going to have to be preached. But I'm not done. Can you come at three? No. Now. Let's go. Everything is time sensitive, right? Psalm 95, did you notice, is time-sensitive. Did you see that in verse 7? Today, if you hear his voice. Not tomorrow, not the next day, not the next, but today. Today. If you, so there's, there's an urgency here about worship that maybe we hadn't thought of before. But today, there's time-sensitive. 
time sensitive. There's an urgency concerning what God is seeking when his people worship. And that's what Psalm 95 is about. Often we come to the worship experience and we're wondering what we are seeking, what our preferences are, what we like, the music we connect to. You're going to be disappointed if you think that way in Psalm 95 because Psalm 95 is about what God is seeking. What is God seeking in worship? Psalm 95 answers in three stanzas. It's a song. So there are stanzas. And because it's a song, those of you who are musicians, you know, there's a structure to song. And so here's the structure. A, B, A, B, C. That's it. That's Psalm 95. A, B, verses 1 through 5. Here's what God is seeking in worship, and here's why. Verses 6 and 7. Here's what God is seeking in worship, and here's why. And then verses 7 and a half to 11, all right? Here's really why we're here. This is the big, when we get to verses 7 and 11, we get to the big idea of the passage of Scripture. I mean, A, A, B is good, and A, B is good here, but when you get to C, we get the big idea. It's really good. It's going to surprise you, I think. What is God seeking in worship? Well, let's look at verse 1. God is seeking noise in worship. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make joyful noise. It's interesting. In the Hebrew Bible, uh, the Old Testament comes to us by way of the Hebrew language, and in the Hebrew Bible, the word joyful is not in the original, so it's implied. So literally, chapter 95, verse 1 says, let us sing to the Lord, let us make noise. Let us make noise. What kind of noise? World Cup soccer noise. That kind of noise raucous noise, rowdy noise, loud noise, you know, maniacal noise, noise, World Cup soccer noise, to the rock of our salvation, ah, literally, our saving rock, our delivering rock, our emancipating rock, our liberating rock. This is not a rock that just sits there. This rock moves. This rock gets things done. This rock makes things happen. Our saving rock is a royal rock. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. This is Exodus language here. One way to understand how many of the Psalms are written, you just need to think Exodus, God using Moses to deliver his people from four centuries of Egyptian slavery. So many of the Psalms are written around that seminal event in Israel's history. And this is no different. God who used Moses to inflict plagues upon Egypt and each plague corresponded to an Egyptian god. So you see it was kind of like a battle of the gods Israel was surrounded by nations that identified deity with nature, so they worshipped, the Egyptians worshipped the Nile God and the uh, sun God and the cattle God, you see. And then the true God 
revealed himself and said, I am not my creation. I am over and above my creation. I am sovereign over my creation. I am absolute. I am unique. I am incomparable. I am the sovereign king of the gods. And to say that Yahweh is the sovereign king of the gods is not to say that there are other gods. This is poetry, Hebrew poetry. There are no other gods. There is one God who is the royal rock. And so these people come to worship knowing that they are a rescued people. God has delivered them from that which they could not deliver themselves. If God had not stepped in, they would still be enslaved. And so no wonder that they come with thanksgiving, verse 2. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us come face to face with him because we've been redeemed, we've been rescued from a false belief system which led to false behavior. Our God is a great God. We know something about that here at Windsor Road. You say, what kind of a church is this? Who are you? We are a people. We've been rescued from a false belief system. (laughs) We've been rescued from idols. Idols that promised everything and delivered nothing. We've been rescued from Egypt. (laughs) Jesus did that. I I can't help but think of uh, the words by um, what some have said is the most influential writer of the last 25 years. His name was David Foster Wallace, who wrote these words. He said, in the day-to-day trenches of adult life, there is actually no such thing as atheism. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And pretty much anything you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real power and identity and meaning in life, then you're never going to have enough. If you worship beauty, if you worship your body, if you worship sexual allure, then you will always feel ugly And when time and age start showing, you'll die a million deaths before they bury you. If you worship power, you will always feel weak and afraid. And you will need ever more power over others to keep that fear at bay. If you worship intellect, being seen as smart, then you will always feel stupid. You will always fear uh, being found out. You see, it's paradoxical, isn't it? Worship worship the true God, Psalm 95 says. Don't waste your worship on these false belief systems. They take and they take and they never give. They never ever give. Psalm 95 says that Israel's God, the true God, as Bible history unfolds, we learn that this true God was made manifest in the Lord Jesus Christ who is king above all. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were made, thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things were made by him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. This is the God we worship. Amen. He's great. How great? Oh, verse 4. 
He's great vertically, and he's great horizontally, verse 5. He's great vertically. In his hand are the depths of the earth. Go to the Mariana Trenches near the U.S. territory of Guam, and there you will find a place called Challenger Deep. Ever heard of it? Challenger Deep. It's the deepest part of uh, the floor in all of our oceans at 35,800 feet, almost seven miles below the surface of the oceans. That means you take Mount Everest and you stack four Empire State buildings on top of that and you still haven't broken the surface of the water. That's deep. There's a movie out on that this summer that Sarah and I saw. National Geographic show features Titanic director James Cameron who entered into this uh, submersible vehicle, this solo submarine to dive to the depths, to the bottom of Challenger Deep there on the ocean floor. Can you imagine creating and designing a vehicle that could withstand the water pressure? Even if you're not into oceans, go see the movie anyway because the technology is phenomenal. How did he do that, to go down into that ocean floor that deep to withstand the water pressure? A water pressure which he said... The weight of two Humvees on your thumbnail. Oh my goodness. That's the water pressure. No, no, nobody would say, nobody would say, having looked at that submersible vehicle, that that just popped out of nowhere. That was fine tuned and designed. How much more our created world? God says, that world, that ocean floor, it's mine. I made it. My hands formed the depths of Challenger Deep. Deep and high, from Challenger Deep to Mount Everest. Vertical, it's mine. And horizontal, verse 5, the sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. My goodness. You see, God's sovereignty knows no boundaries whatsoever. We, we make noise before the God who made everything. And, and, listen, listen, this ought to be the greatest motivation for education and research. Really, think about it. Make noise, explore, research, whether it's social sciences or formal sciences or physical sciences, whatever the sciences there are. Christians ought to be at the forefront of research because there is no conflict between Christianity, between Christian faith and science. No, no, Christianity urges us to explore more and more and more because God made this. It's amazing. Hear me, listen. The average human heart pumps over 1,000 gallons a day, over 55 million gallons in a lifetime, enough to fill 13 super tankers. It never sleeps. It beats 2.5 billion times in a lifetime. Who did that? The, your body uses energy so very efficiently. So if the average adult rides a bike for one hour at 10 miles an hour, it uses the amount of energy contained in three ounces of carbohydrate. If your car were this efficient, it would get 900 miles to the gallon. Who did that? 
You see what I mean? Oh my. What's God seeking? He's seeking the rowdy noise of grateful people. Amen? Amen. Man, wow. This is good. And I'll tell you what else he's seeking. He's not only seeking the rowdy noise of rescued people, but he's also seeking the quiet dependence of trusting people. So you see, our worship is not merely to be a noisy, extroverted activity. We are to come before him quietly, humbly. Look at verse 6. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. There's no yelling there, not when you bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, you see? So the idea is quiet, still, humble reverence. So this extroverted, joyful jamboree now becomes a solemn, introverted gathering. First, there's the rejoicing Now, there's the reverence. First, there's the vocal and musical instrumentation. Now, there's quiet kneeling and bowing. The rock concert has now become a solemn and dimly lit cathedral. And why? Why? Because the one who is king of the gods, the one who is over all, the one whose hand carved out Challenger Deep and shaped the peak of Mount Everest, the maker of all is... Look, verse 6, our maker. He's our maker. This is personal. We are a created people, and we are his people. And, and by that, I don't mean that, that the, the, the wonder of creating human life. I mean that God himself has stepped into history and rescued his people from that which they could not rescue himself. We've been delivered from the dominion of darkness. We've been transplanted into the kingdom of the Son whom He loves. He's created us. He's brought us together. He's called us to be His people. The almighty maker of heaven and earth is not some terrifying wizard of Oz who barks out, you clinking, clanking, clattering collection of calligatous junk. That's not our God. He's our shepherd. He cares. He cares about what's going on in your life. He cares about your job. He cares about your job search. He cares about how you're dealing with that crazy maker at work. He cares about your paycheck. He cares about your health. He cares about your children's health. He cares about your academics. He cares about your worries. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. From Egypt to the land of promise, God sustains us. He takes care of us. He is both fearsome creator and faithful shepherd. He is both perfectly holy and passionately merciful. He is both splendidly majestic and sensitively caring. He is over us and he is near us. God wants us to make noise in worship and he also wants us to make quiet in worship. Which do you tend to emphasize in your worship experiences? 
Are you able to become lost in an ocean of noisy praise? And are you able to just sit in silent praise before God and let our great shepherd pastor you? Just bow your heads for just a minute. Just lock eyes on this verse. Verse 7. He is our God, people of his pasture, sheep of his hand. Just quiet yourself. Shh. Some of us really needed that. For, for some of us, this is about as quiet as it's going to get today. Yeah. Some of us are afraid of this. But you read this verse. You let God's shepherding touch just wash over you in silence. Oh. What's God seeking? He's seeking the noisy, rowdy joy of rescued people. And he's seeking the, just the quiet, humble worship of dependent people. Because he is our almighty creator and he's our shepherd. He wants to shepherd your soul. Yeah. And to what end? Huh? Oh, A, B, A, B, C. This is the best part. This is the big idea. To what end? I'll tell you what end. So that, ultimately, we might receive what it is he has to give us. See, you thought that the point of worship was for you to come and give something to God. No. The point of worship is for us to be gathered and receive what it is God wants to give to us. In worship, God is seeking to give us his word so that we might experience his rest. That's where we get to this phrase today. If you hear his voice, his voice, God is speaking. What is church? This is church. When God's people gather to receive what it is he wants to give. God God wants to give us. He's good. He's generous. He wants to give us his word. He wants to teach us. He wants to instruct us. He wants to give us his wisdom. We live in a created world. We are a created people. And now, God, we want to hear from you. Now that we've made noise, now that we've made quiet, we want to hear from you because we want rest, true rest, soul rest. The most important part of worship isn't what you, what you give God. It's what he's going to give you and that's his word. And I have to ask, well, what, whatever would keep us from wanting to hear God's word, God's life-changing word, God's life-giving word, what would keep us from wanting God's word? And 
This is where we get to these two words, Meribah and Masah. Meribah and Masah. Meribah, Hebrew, contention. Masah, testing. Meribah and Masah are shorthand for an event which occurred in Israel's history. While they were in the wilderness, they lived in tents. They were dependent on God, and there was a time when they grew thirsty. And when they grew so thirsty, they began to get grouchy, grumpy, demanding, so demanding that at one point in time, they Bark to Moses, thirsty Moses, Exodus chapter 17, 7. Moses, is the Lord among us or not? Oh, did they really say that? What do you mean, is the Lord among us or not? <laughs> Who rescued you from Pharaoh? Who brought you through the Red Sea? Who's giving you sustenance uh, called manna day by day? How could you... How can you ever say, is the Lord among us or not? You know, that question gets asked still today. You see, these verses were written to the descendants of those who wandered in the wilderness. And these verses were to be sung at a feast in Israel called the Feast of Tents. It was a feast in which God's people remembered their ancestors wandering in the wilderness. And so they would actually, it was like a nationwide camping experience. They would live in tents to commemorate their dependence on God. And also, it was a challenge that God's people um, never, ever ask what their ancestors had asked in 1770. Never demanded, is the Lord among us or not? That's a challenge for us, too. Because, because that question can very quickly become, God, what have you done for me lately? What have you done for me lately? And when that happens, we resist God. We rebel against him. And resistance comes from a hardened heart. And when your heart is hard to God, your ears are deaf to the word of God. And when you are deaf to the word of God, you'll never, ever ever find rest, ever. Is it possible? Is it possible to come to a place of rest like this and not experience rest? Is it possible to come to a place of worship and yet not worship? Is it possible? Oh, yes. And so Psalm 95 is both a challenge, it's a call, and there's a lesson to be learned. And I would say that the best commentary on Psalm 95 is found in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12. Because Psalm 95 appears in Hebrews chapter 3, the Hebrew writer says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Could it really happen? Yeah, it can really happen. Yeah. God's gathered us. He's gathered us here not to take from us, but to give to us. And so in worship, we hear God's word. And as Bible history unfolds, we realize that the word became flesh and tented among us in Jesus of Nazareth. God in Jesus Christ pitched his tent among us. He gave his life. He surrendered his life. He healed our brokenness by becoming broken for us on the cross. He cried out. Only his cry was, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. He cried out, 
It is finished. Into your hands I commend my spirit. And he was silent before his accusers, like a sheep before his shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. He, our great king of all the gods, experienced unrest, the unrest of crucifixion, so that we might enjoy eternal rest, true rest. And he died, and he buried, and he was risen, and ascended and seated and he sent his spirit and through the apostles and prophets we have this inspired word and so he's speaking today he's speaking today (laughs) see see this psalm begins with us doing the talking but it ends with god doing the talking are we listening He's speaking today, not tomorrow, not the next day, not the next. You don't, you don't have tomorrow. You just have now. You just have today. We have this opportunity here. God's grace is time sensitive. It's a matter of today. This is what God wants to give us. In worship, God is seeking to give. Now then, what are you seeking? What do you desire? What do you want? Desire. Ah. Harry Potter's Mirror of Erised. Remember that? It's not that cleverly titled because Erised spelled backwards means desire. You stand in front of this mirror. You don't see yourself, but you see the deepest desire of your heart. In fact, there's an inscription above that mirror. And the inscription, when translated, says, I show you not your face, but your heart's deepest desire. So I ask you, what is your heart's deepest desire? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, oh God, I believe. Would you just please help my unbelief? God, I, 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 I desire you. Help that part of me that doesn't, that part of me that needs to grow, the part of me that tends to resist. Keep me, Lord, from resisting your grace, from resisting your mercy, from resisting the cross, from resisting your wisdom. And help us all as your people to desire you more than anything for your glory. And God's people said,